Inbounds, Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner, across the timeline, throws it from behind on the right. He hit it! He hit it! He hit it just inside of half court! Lane's on the other wing. He finds oh! 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 Send it in, Jerome! Now with a minute to play, Kansas State has the ball. We're tied at 92. Marquise Noel. Throws to the rim for Johnson who slams it in. Noel ties the record with his 18th assist. Johnson with the alley-oop slam, and it's 94-92 K-State. Lob from half court and a reverse dunk. Unreal. And some words from a team cleave from Marquise Noel. Here's a driving loop by Hogarth. It's blocked by John, by a Desson who knocked it out of bounds. Oh, my goodness. Marquise Noel, Kansas State, you beautiful baby. Whoa, that was unbelievable. One of the best tournament performances, best individual tournament performances I can ever recall seeing. Only thing that maybe stacks up more recently from a scoring standpoint was Carson Edwards for Purdue and what that guy did in putting his team on his back. I'm Timmy Hall. That's Evil Bald Colin. We are recording our pod today in front of a live audience in a studio. Not a live studio audience. It's just one guy. Our guy Bodie is back there helping us out once again. So thank you, sir. Evil, it's good to see you, man. Elite Eight is set. Tim, it's good to see you. So when we planned on doing it live last week, we didn't know we were going to get a 16 seed upsetting a one. This week when we decided to go live, we didn't realize it would be zero one seeds in the Elite Eight for the first time since seeding started in 1979. I had that figured without looking up the stat, didn't you? Seemed about right. I thought it was close. I, I'm trying to think back to the year maybe where it was UConn and Butler in the final where we got close to that. High, see, that's another discussion. High seed points in a championship game. That probably was the highest, right? Because Butler was a five, I believe, and UConn you know what? Then was it, then maybe it wasn't. a seven. Then it wasn't because I already know in 2014 it was an eight and a seven. That was Connecticut and Kentucky. That's right. UConn was the seven. Kentucky was the eight in that one. So there's 15 seed points. But as far as, yeah, all those fun little factoids that we got now from the one seeds being out, kind of had it figured as a basketball fan that this was the first time since expansion, certainly, or any time, that you haven't had a one seed reach at least the elite eight. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That really is. This just tell, tells you a lot of things about basketball. And I also, I also don't think this takes away from the overall product because a lot of times we get on here, we'll speak about the NCAA tournament. What's great about it is that it has a little bit of something for everybody. The people that casually check in and like the buzzer beaters, they like the upsets, they like the passion and that, just that emotion with it, with little guys winning. And then by the time we get to the sweet 16 or so, it kind of settles in and then you get your Dukes, your Kansases, your, your North Carolinas. None of those guys are still in it, by the way, you know, Kentucky, they're not in it either. The traditional powers, but really, really good basketball schools. They seem to settle. And with all the one seeds out, I guess you're, I'm making the argument there that that hasn't happened this year, but I still think we've got Really, really good basketball teams. I mean, Creighton, for instance, doesn't feel like your typical six seed, and they're moving on. No, metric-wise, they they aren't. It's really, they, just, they kind of fell to the six seed because of that uh, law of, like, I think they lost, like, six games in a row when Ryan Kalkbrenner was out with Mono. Uh, and then they kind of rebounded, but then were kind of inconsistent down the stretch and had a pretty, 
in my opinion, a bad loss in how they played in the Big East tournament. But yeah, no, yeah. every metric told you this was a top 15 team all year long. Well, you heard the clip off the top of the, the pod there. That was Westwood One Radio. And we basically got to run them. We didn't have anything else going on on Thursday after the Buckeye show. So we got to run. It's unbelievable, too. Like, it is... It's the best. Everybody knows Westwood one is the best in the biz. They're pretty much they've monopolized sports national sports radio play by play. Like we've got the Learfield networks and all that that handle college sports play by play that do it for the individual schools. But when you get into these events like that, the NCAA runs Westwood one will take over. But the way that they do it, though, they've got their studio guys and they have all these voices that we're familiar with, Colin, that maybe work for ESPN or Fox or BTN and they don't get those deals with CBS or Turner because it gets whittled down. I mean, it, it's still great, right? I think a lot of us, we'd like to see our guy, Gus Johnson, who you hear in our show open, right? Ha <laughs> ha! College basketball! Like, that would still be great. But you do get Kevin Harlan. Like, he was on... What was he calling? Do you remember what he was calling if it was that Michigan State-K-State game? I don't think it was. I'm he had to something think. else I'm, that was I'm really trying good. To think. I mean, he had the Furman game. He had Furman, Virginia. Yes, he right. Did have yeah, that. and they he showed was... a clip, didn't they? They showed a clip where someone had a camera on their whole TV crew, That's and Harlan right. kind of put his hands out when when uh, Kihei Clark just chucked the ball up towards half court. Right, that was kind of his uh, effort. I believe that was kind of his, his effort to let the uh, situation breathe. That's one big thing that a lot of broadcasters talk about is get your moment in, but then also let the moment breathe so people can kind of get the magnitude of what's going on. But no, he's great, and uh, I remember some news before the tournament started that Dick Vitale was offered a position to do some CBS games, but he decided not to because he was loyal to ESPN, and they they, they do try to sprinkle people around, whether it's radio or TV, but for the most part, I think they've had a pretty good crew for most of the games I've watched. Yeah, it's been great on TV and on radio, and the, who you heard on the K-State Michigan State clip just minutes ago, that was Gary Cohen who Mets fans would be very familiar with him. He does a really good job. He's a really good broadcaster. And Crispin, the old Penn State guy, who we're very familiar with as Big Ten people. So that's who you heard. I think Crispin is actually one of the best as far as just speaking the game, analyzing the game. I think he's got a great sound to him, kind of up there with Robbie Hummel, who we've heard a lot now. I believe I've even heard Robbie Hummel, if I'm not mistaken, doing some games for Westwood One Radio. Yes, he goes in between that, DTN, ESPN. He he does it all. Him and Brandon Gauden, who have been a, a TV team. And as we get back, let's just let's just say this clearly. Thursday beat Friday. Thursday kicked Friday's ass. Did it not? You, you, that's not right? You don't I, think so? I, I say the games did, yes. The magnitude of the upsets, no. Okay, so with Bama being out? Of course. You have Houston your, being you out. Have your two once he's left getting knocked off. Yeah, I, I think, I believe you're right. The best games happened Thursday night. You can't dispute that. Between US or UCLA and Gonzaga and then Kansas State, Michigan State. Even Florida Atlantic over Tennessee Even was that. a barn burner. Yeah. They were down so, big and then were up. <laughs> big and survived i kind of followed it out of the corner of my eye on my second tv and i, I saw it around 10 11 i'm like okay this is what ten, tennessee's gonna do they get a little bit of a lead on you and then they try to suffocate the game when about high the mid 50s and really try to just make the game ugly but then florida state just went on a run with janelle davis and elijah martin two guys that can fill up the bucket and get you d- 10 points per game in a breeze i, I think this is a team that's going to make a really challenging effort for kansas state 
and we'll get into it later, but I think Kansas State's going to probably benefit from the matchup itself, but it's not going to be an easy game. So before I, I want to hit on that UCLA-Gonzaga game and what that means and just sort of what that tournament matchup has become, but back to K-State and Michigan State for a minute because the last Big Ten team is gone. There's that angle, but I want to know, like, you've you've watched a lot of Big 12 basketball and there was almost a there was a part in me that really did wonder if a sunflower showdown national championship game was possible or, or if that was just nuts. Well, here's K-State and of course Kansas, the bigger dog, is out of the fight right now. But with Marquise Noel and his ability to do things like that, I, I am wondering how how could he have a 19 assist performance against that kind of defensive team? And he's had what, like six or seven double-digit assist games all year. I was about to say, he averages Man. a little, little over eight a game, I Which believe. is great, which is still great. You got to make a point. In college basketball, that's right up there at the tops in the country. But I, I've just never seen it. And Colin, these were not assists where it was just, oh, I'm passing the ball ahead to the lead guy, and then he's going to make a layup. Or it's just a nice little Princeton backdoor cut, and I'm going to bounce past the ball, and he's going to make a layup. Almost every one of his 19 assists were tremendous skill plays by the passer to make the points happen. There were no buckets. Like, there were no buckets. There were no points. If Marquise Noel wasn't breaking down the defense, keeping the ball on a string, beating somebody off the dribble, knifing in, and then kind of like using misdirection to just lie. I've never seen anything like that in my life to that degree where there were 19 dimes. Yeah, so with this team and this Kansas State team this entire year, consistency has been a big thing, especially consistency in the turnover margin and shot selection. I think we saw little glimpses of that in that game. Marquise Noel, with all his good, did have some bad moments where he took some shots that really weren't oh, good yeah. selections. It was that was it added to it. It but added to the flair. That's part of his process, man, and that's kind of why when they've lost this year, it's been stuff like that that just kind of compounds. But they they overcame it, man. They really played a good, good game, and his good outweighed his bad. Dude is from Harlem, and he had that day. Do you know what school he MSG. played at? Do you know what school he played at before he he transferred there? Because he is a transfer. Yeah, he is. Um, it's a mid major. Just say it. Blurt it out. Yeah, uh, Chris Beard used to coach here. Just say it. It's Little Rock. Little Rock. Yes. Little Rock. So he played three years there. I believe this is now his second year at Kansas State. And if you've seen any parts of the broadcast, he's actually one of the big reasons why Jerome Tang yeah. got the job at Kansas State. Because he was texting the AD like, hey, we need to look at him. Maybe t- maybe take an idea of looking at him. And the guy's like, oh, well, thanks for the offer. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. And sure enough, that's who they ended up with. He then brings in this great group of guys. Keontae Johnson has been one of the best stories this year by far. And you've got a team that just really meshes well together. And it's one of those, these instances where transfers work. They just have such a mutual respect for each other, a love for each other. You can see it. You can see it on the court afterwards. And I know everything's better when you win, but this has been a, a season-long thing for Kansas State basketball, getting them back. And people now who are of a certain age, they'll remember Mitch Richmond and some of these dudes and when K-State basketball meant business, you got to go back a ways back in the 80s. And when I was going to school out there in, in Kansas, it wasn't really that way. They were just a punching bag for the Jayhawks. And they weren't really seen as much of the rival back then. 
because Mizzou was the the hot blooded rivalry, and then they abandoned and left to the SEC. But that's how it was. We'll uh, we'll hit a little bit on that other one coming up here, UCLA and Gonzaga, and also touch on the Friday games. As we are rolling along here, the Elite Eight is set, and we had some fantastic basketball in the Sweet 16. You guys are locked in to Mad About Hoops. One of these men is evil and bald. The other one is Timmy Hall, swinging his meat bat. You're listening to Mad About Hoops on The Fan. Strother will get it in. Salas picks it up. Clock starts. 11 seconds. Salas across the timeline. Pitch it back. Strother. Deep three from the top of the key. Got it! Oh, he hit it! Strother from the top. Seven seconds left. Campbell on the run. Into the front court. Drives the right side. Stripped away. Strother's got it. Fouled with 1.1 to go. The Vegas native pulls up from deep and puts Gonzaga in the lead and then gets a steal at the other end. Oh, man. The Zags survive, and they beat UCLA. Boy, they're having their way with them here with some big shots. Go back to that Jalen Suggs dagger to send him to the national championship game in the bubble championship, in the bubble final four. Timmy Hall, evil bald Colin. This is mad about hoops, and what a call on that one there. You could feel the pain where the Zags are down 13 points, and something special is going on with this UCLA team fighting some key injuries, but Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell program type guys, pillars of a team and UCLA basketball was, was definitely for a long period of time, not really looking like UCLA basketball. I mean, when they left the, when they left their dominance of wooden and Bill Walton and Lou Alcindor and those dudes, it was a long time before, you know, they had the O'Bannon team in the mid nineties, kind of a blip, and then Ben Howland kind of started that charge to bring him back. And I'm pretty shocked how Mick Cronin has done with this. I mean, they he basically was shown the door at Cincinnati. And UCLA was looking at a lot of different places. And I don't really feel like that was one of their first, second, third, maybe even fourth options. And then they go with Mick Cronin. And he's wearing his three-piece suit out there. And he has he is just such an a-hole all the time. But my, my goodness, that guy can coach some basketball but credit to the Zags and the Jay Wright play and Julian Strother, 13 down to being up double figures, then losing the lead again. And then you hit that shot from the logo, Colin. Yeah, first off, that, that play was gutsy by Mark Few. And for a guy like Julian Strother, who had struggled for some parts of this tournament so far heading into this, he, he did turn it on late in that game against UCLA. But to call that play in that situation, that's that's putting a lot of trust in a guy who's been there for a while. But no, you, you nailed it on UCLA. They just, you know, they just kind of ran out of gas with what they had. I mean, you lose the defensive player of the year and Jalen Clark and then your freshman of the year and Adem Bona. It's just, it's hard to overcome. And the stats show you that you got out-rebounded, doubled. I think it was like 50 to 25 in favor of Gonzaga. You're just not going to win many games when you do that. Uh, at, at halftime, I kind of felt like Gonzaga was going to make a run at it because quite honestly, UCLA was really efficient heading up to that point. And we saw they went, I think it was like a stretch of almost 10 minutes without a made field goal. And it, it showed and it gave Gonzaga the opportunity, one of the best offenses in the country. It's one of those teams where I feel like if they're down 10 to 13 points, I'm not too concerned. They can, they can work their way right back into it with their three-point shooting and what Timmy can do in the post. They just didn't have any answers for him. He had 15 points by the 10-minute mark in the first Unreal. half. Unreal. I couldn't believe like when I checked into that game and really settled into it because I was watching the other one. 
and saw that I was like, wait a minute, he has how many points? What? He has how many points with this much time left in the game? And when I checked in, he also, Timmy, you know, it happens with every basketball player. He had like two or three bad possessions. And when I checked in, I thought, eh, he's not playing so well. And then then it says, nope, yes, he is. He's having one of the best games he's ever had. The dude had 36 points, 13 boards. He had four assists. Timmy time. And he's really so crazy. He's expanding his range, too. He's shooting threes now and making them. He's got a soft touch. And as far as the college game goes, one-on-one, like there were times when UCLA was refusing to double him. Anytime Timmy would pass away from a single coverage, I was like screaming at my TV saying, what are you doing? Just go, go and take the points because more often than not, I mean, it's eight or nine out of 10. You're going to break a guy down, make a bucket, his moves to the left, his moves to the right, his up and under his pivot step, everything that he's got in the arsenal in this college game is, is unbelievable. It's a very smart decision for him to continue to build his legacy, to come back. Do you know if he has another year of, year of eligibility? Timmy does. If he wants it, he should come back regardless of what happens. I mean, if you I would at, think he yeah, should come back, if you look at what Armando Bacot's doing, this is a guy who can come back, make a lot of money. I think his value is value on NIL is around nine, 900 K. So he could come back, make that money and probably play. I mean, he could play up to this level, continue to dominate at this level instead of going to maybe like the G league or going overseas. You can, you can delay your, your, your professionalism for one more year and really get the most out of it. I, I agree. He, sh- he probably should. I think it's going to be a hard decision for him to make, but if he looks at what Armando Baycott's reasons for coming back are, I think he'd make the right decision in doing so. So everybody sweet 16s are all in the books. From Thursday and Friday, we are doing our podcast live on the fan. So, hello. We're actually here right now. Timmy Hall and Evil Bald Colin. Three of the four were just unbelievable games on Thursday. Zags beat UCLA by three. Just talking about that one. UConn smothered Arkansas. I thought that was embarrassing by the Razorbacks. You didn't win the national championship after you beat Kansas. They just... They didn't even play defense. They just said, forget it, you know, bleep it. Sonogo, just take your dunks, that, uh, take your cuts back there. That Go kind ahead. of sounds like a frustrated fan yeah, right a there. Bit, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, going for the seed points on the survivor pick. You know, your team gets knocked out as a one seed, and then they show up, and they're getting beat by 30. I mean, Hurley, Dan Hurley's great, and I loved UConn a lot this year, but I I really felt decent about that upset pick. I mean, wouldn't even have felt like an upset. They were a three-point dog or a four-point dog. We, of course, talked about Kansas State over Michigan State and Florida Atlantic beat Tennessee. Then Friday, you said, uh, look, I want to be in time here. I just want to crush Alabama. I'm loving it. I'm happy about it. I had him picked to go to the title. I mean, I have some some fun stats for you. I really want to hear it. I want the stats before I'm just going to crush Alabama and tell them to stick to football. And maybe you'll think twice before you try to have a good basketball season again, because I hate them. This whole story with Brandon Miller, it was disgusting. It was tragic. How could we be thinking about basketball when someone was murdered and Brandon Miller was terrible. He was terrible in this tournament. And I am glad he was terrible. He was in this actually, tournament. he was actually historically bad. So he was eight, good. He was eight of 41 from the field and three of 19 from three point range and three across three games. That is the lowest field goal percentage in the NCAA tournament since 1985 with a minimum of 35 field goal attempts. Good. He sucked. He was horrible. He sucked. He didn't score a single point in that first game. Granted, they scored 90-plus points. It didn't really matter, but he, he was not himself and how he plays the game oh, in the tournament. Just, oh, he was just a witness. Oh, you know, he was just adjacent to it. 
Wrong place, wrong time. Twitter was having fun with that performance last night. I'll tell you. Hey, whatever, whatever. You, uh, it, it's just, it's so poetic how you sell your morals down the river for this by not even issuing a game suspension. You're going to go with what law enforcement said and say, oh, well, that's what we have to be then because we're a private entity. We, we're not allowed to discipline, you know, our employees or our students or our staff or our teachers, professors the way that we want to based on what Alabama stands for. We just, whatever the law says, and if they can't do anything, well, then we can't do anything. Our hands are completely tied. So you go with that whole route, and then you wind up getting bounced embarrassingly in the Sweet 16 anyway, when you look like easily the top dog team that's left standing in this tournament. You're sitting there in a car with two other dudes moments before someone grabs the handgun out of the back seat and goes and murders somebody. And the dude who's texting you is your former teammate who's being charged with capital murder. That guy was on Alabama's basketball team, Darius Miles, being charged with capital murder. You're there in the car hanging out that night and nothing. You didn't do a single thing about it. Uh, the bills is the of the world and all that that say, you know, this is they handled this the right way. They didn't cop to the pressure. Forget all that. It's not about copping to the pressure. It's just about being decent and maybe doing something. That's uh, that's my take on it. So, yeah, it bleeds into the basketball side of it. I can't really compartmentalize that much of it when I don't understand how as a human being you can go out and play basketball. When you were so close to a murder. That's a good point. I don't understand it. It it's, feels like psychopathic to me. So what's really weird about this is if you remember the first game after all that news came out was that South Carolina game on the road where they were down big. But Brandon Miller had a really good game. They came back, won that. He did. They he had really, a great game. And Seth really Greenberg was really downplaying it. Like, yeah. Oh, you can't do anything. You know, right. coaches, coaches hands are tied in this situation. You're not allowed to do a thing. It's all about the administration. They do it all for you. But it, what I'm amazed by is that it really didn't look like it affected them in their play too much immediately after finishing the regular season, ran, right. ran through the SEC tournament. For some reason, when it came to this tournament and maybe the pressure of playing on the big stage got to them, they shrunk. And they really shrunk in the previous game before this too, got by, eventually got the lead and it sp- spread out the lead. It looked good late against Maryland, but there were stretches of that game where it even kind of looked iffy. But yeah, the way they came out and now Alabama historically is the worst team in the Sweet 16. They're one and nine historically. <laughs> At some point, it, it just becomes poetic. The way that they went out kind of goes with how their season went both on and off the court. Good things just good things shouldn't just slide to you when you're involved with something like that. That's my hope. That's my hope. That's my hope that the way the world works, it can correct itself, karma, things like that. Good things should land to really good people who are doing great things and making great decisions and being there for people and being kind and being just and all that. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad the success didn't find that team when they were coddling that superstar basketball player after what he was uh, involved in, what he was wrapped up in. Miami beat Houston easily <laughs> down the stretch. What a team, man. And I like to see Jim Laranega dance. What a dancer he is in the locker room. What a coach. I mean, George Mason to the final four. You know who's the head coach at Bowling Green? No, Larinaga was the coach at Bowling Green. I got you. Like back in the day. Like this guy's been around for such a long time. He was at UVA basically when Sampson was still there. It makes sense. Do the math. He's 73, 74 years old. So here he is. They get the job done. Miami basketball back-to-back elite eights. 
Uh, what's actually funny is I believe his leading scorer, or I, I don't know if Wong or Jordan Miller's his leading scorer. They're pretty much in the 15, 16 points per game range. But actually, uh, came from George or George Mason. He played his first three years. Jordan Miller did at George Mason, and now he's in his second year at Miami. So that's kind of kind of funny how that worked Connections. out. Connections. But Miami and I, I'll, I'll pair in Gonzaga with this. They're teams that are kind of breaking the trend historically of how this tournament goes and. I mean, you can say that for the entire rest of the field, the final eight. It's historic what we're seeing. I've, we've already mentioned one seeds aren't making the, sweet, the the elite eight for the first time since seeding started in 79. But historically, teams don't make the final four metrically if their defense is poor. Now, they haven't made it yet, but teams like Gonzaga, who entered the tournament outside the top 75, Miami's still at the top 100 in defensive efficiency, you don't see this very often because you need to play tight defense when the game gets tight at the end. But they are. They are. But historically, this season, they have not done that. It just seems like a weird flip of the switch for both of these teams. Gonzaga started that game against UCLA. Very poor defense, but turned it on late. That scoring drought that I told you that UCLA had, that was key to their comeback. It's That's the weird thing about this tournament is that trends can sometimes change, but the way they've drastically changed in this one specifically is why we're seeing all these upsets. Man, just so great uh, as uh, the lead eight is set here. Games coming up here today on Saturday and then on Sunday. Jordan Miller, by the way, just a, a neat guy. What a player he is. The the size that he brings, having you know been a really good player at George Mason and then doing it for two years now with Miami. Now he's a 15-a-game guy, and he can really kill you. I know Jim Lachey will love this because he's a great Northern Virginia dude with all the time he spent with the Washington Redskins, so he and I love to talk about these little towns in Virginia. He's a Middleburg, Virginia guy, which is not typically where you would see a big-time basketball recruit come from. It's after off a Route 50 in a, a really beautiful spot in Northern Virginia, a Loudoun Valley guy. So interesting high school for him. But a couple more of those games that we'll hit on. And we got a lot of, you know, the coaching carousel that we got to hit on in this podcast. Coaches moving around. You mentioned that North Carolina basketball team getting reset for another run. Uh, that's dicey. <laughs> you don't want to go 0 for 2 coming back. But I doubt that's going to happen in North Carolina where they would miss another tournament. But a lot more coming up. You guys are locked in to Mad About Hoops. All the college basketball talk you can handle. You're listening to Mad About Hoops. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. It is Mad About Hoops. Timmy Hall, Evil Bald Collins, Sweet 16, Elite 8 edition. We're doing this one in between. So we watched all those Sweet 16 games. They were phenomenal. It's all—it's always so much fun. And now the games that are going to be coming up on Saturday, 6 o'clock and 8.49-ish. These are uh, first ones at Madison Square Garden. Florida Atlantic, the nine seed versus Kansas State, the three seed. And then it's T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. The four seed, UConn, looking really good, man, versus the three seed, Gonzaga. That second one just has a good feel to it. That's got game of the year vibes to <laughs> yeah, it. That feels good. It's just weird because there are two teams that are really hot. So Gonzaga's been really going since her loss to at, on the road at St. Mary's. And it's been fun to watch that their offense can get it going whenever they really want it to. Uh, the emergence of Malachi Smith feels very similar to what happened last year with Remy Martin in Kansas. Now, if, if they go and make a run and eventually win this thing, I think it's going to require Malachi Smith to have a similar type performance down the stretch. 
But it's, yeah, it's, you're talking about a team in UConn that looks like invincible right now versus Gonzaga, who just made a, a great comeback and is at a complete emotional high. What else is going on with UConn? Why do you like them so much? You always love the UConn. Well, UConn's a fun team because they have a little bit of everything between Tristan Newton, uh, Jordan Hawkins at the guard spots. They can really shoot it from three and really get good slashing guard play. I will say, though, they do lack a traditional point guard, so that could be an issue maybe later down the road. I don't think a team like Gonzaga with Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman are really going to provide that much of a, a problem to them in that position. But they have that, and then they've got guys out in the post with Sonogo and then Donovan Kling in the freshman seven-footer where they can really just lean on you and really stretch your forwards and make it hard for them to, A, stay out of foul trouble, and B, stay on the floor because they're tired. I think they're a type of team with that low post action where they can make Timmy's life a little bit more difficult than, say, what UCLA was able to do. And that's why I think they could probably be the favorite to win this game. But I, I don't know which way I would go. If I was playing like a money line on this, I don't know which side I would take yet. How how into you how into the history with UConn basketball are you? Like, do you go back to some of those great teams and how, you know, Jim Calhoun would space out those national championships? And they were I don't know why I feel this way. I feel like they were the the power player that never got the respect they deserve because four national championships, that I mean, that is no joke. All since the field expanded. Well, think about their last two championships. They were both underdogs. They kind of struggled yeah. heading into their conference tournaments, turned it on, and then really just kept that momentum flowing through the tournament. But I don't know. I don't know why I feel that way, but I do feel as a college basketball fan, it's kind of true. Like they've been left on the outside of that party. Like if we had an adult table, right, where Duke and Carolina and Kentucky and Kansas and those guys are there, UConn kind of hasn't felt like they've been there. It with feels like the lack the of consistency. Attention. It's the lack of consistency. But when they do yeah. make it, man, they go and they don't take opportunities for granted. But as far as, you know, players put into the pros and everything else, they check all those boxes, right? And, you know, the thing that hurt them recently was getting left out in the cold and being in a big prestigious conference. But it's nice now that they've worked their way back into the Big East. I know you love that. I mean, them yes. being in the American, it just... It felt wrong. I mean, and they kind of were stuck because they had a football program too, and their football sucked, right? Didn't Randy Edsel work his way back there? He was there, then he was gone in Maryland, yes, back to UConn, then they fired him. And first they said, like, oh, like, we're firing you, Randy, but you could stay till the end of the year. And then he said something later that day, and then they, the administration said, you know what? Change my mind. Get the hell out today. Like, clean out your desk, clean out uh, your, your office. You're gone today. But UConn basketball. Coached by a Hurley. Dan's Dan's better. Bobby, you are the better player. Dan can coach you up and down the block. Yeah, my uh my my debate with myself internally has always been which is the crazier one, Bobby or Dan? And Bobby can get after it. If you've watched enough Arizona State games, you you can see that he really, really gets after it. But He's crazy in his the, eyes. Yeah. But the crazy eyes of Dan are so much different. And the way his intensity shows out through those eyes is something I don't know if I've seen in the coach recently. Maybe maybe Mick Cronin when he really gets going, but Dan Hurley is at a different level. Creighton, San Diego State, Sunday at 220 at yeah, the Yum Center. You want to talk about contrasting styles, a team at Creighton where they play good defense in the post with Ryan Kalkbrenner, but they really want to get out and go, and they've got guards that can score for days. San Diego State, usually you would say that they're just really a solid defensive team. 
really old players that can get after it. And Matt Bradley, who's, who's what makes it go, but they scored 40 plus points in the second half against Alabama, which had a pretty good defense. So maybe they're starting to get in a rhythm and this could be a game that could be scored in the high seventies. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Am I, is this, is this right? A uh, little mad about hoops, pop road trip meter. Um, tickets as low as $13 for the Creighton San Diego State? Yes. That's awesome. What is that? What am I missing there? I mean, well, it's a six and a five, but that's a great looking game, man. I'm, I'm loving this matchup. Well, real quick, fun fact, a uh, five seed I don't believe has ever won the title. The, 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 one, the one of the top eight seeds that has never won. But besides the fact that you're talking about a team on the West Coast, and a team in the the more western part of the Midwest coming over to just the top part of the South. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm sure they're not oh, expecting wait, a huge crowd. Wait a minute, man. Um, let's let's look at this. Like we got lower bowl seats under a hundy, like right behind a basket for seventy four, seventy bucks. Section three hundred seven, which is kind of like a side court upper bowl look. I like those first three or four rows in the upper bowl because you can see all of the angles, all the boundaries. 307, what's a good row? Like uh, like D, C, give me like a row C. There we go. Row B, $71. We go back a little bit. We're down to like 35 bucks for row P. Let's go, Colin. We have basketball to watch tomorrow. That is. Uh, Let's take a trip. That's very enticing. But Three I mean, and a half hours, door to door. Look, even, even the one in. Kansas City, Missouri with Miami and Texas, which should be a really good game. Is this low? Far. $31. Well, 31 bucks. Just in general, it's it's kind of crazy how cheap these tickets are. 31 bucks. The Sprint Center, I've only been there because it's next to the College Basketball Hall of Fame, which is very cool how they built that. I mean, you talk about a college basketball fan's paradise to go out there for tournament basketball. And the Hall of Fame is there. The college basketball experience, all those courts set up and the dunk stations where it's like 10 feet, 9 feet, 8 feet, 7 feet, all that good stuff. Three-point shootouts. I've still yet to go to a game there, but that seems like an unbelievable price point. The way the Big 12 tournament is hosted there and now NCAA tournament basketball. We will hit on some of these, uh, the coaching things that we haven't touched on yet. Rick Pitino obviously is gigged up now in the Big East. A lot more moving around. We'll hit on some of that as we continue. It is Mad About Hoops. All college basketball all the time. You're listening to Mad About Hoops. The Fan, Ohio Sports Destination. All right, college basketball fans. Timmy Hall, Evil Bald Colin. Are your eyes bleeding yet, buddy? Uh, depends on what you're referring to. Just watching so much hoops, man. I feel just like oh, basketball bounce out of my eyeballs. No, I thought you were talking about the Red Bull I was drinking over here. Maybe soon. But oh, no. well, that, well, that too. You <laughs> got to no, do something. Well, you, you do, but no, with basketball, I could watch it forever. Uh, you know what? As we start up some of this coaching discussion here that we haven't hit on yet, I'm going to start by playing one of the most disgusting sounds in basketball. It is the sound of Rick Pitino's voice. It's been a long journey to get here. Back to the Big East. Back to the Johnnies. Here he is. Here's Pitino. I wasn't exiled away, but nobody really wanted to deal with hiring me at that point. The NCAA, unfortunately, moves like at a snail's pace. Took five years for the case to come up. And I wasn't hit real hard with violations. Uh, other people were. But 
I was very, very proud of the things we've accomplished. As I said, my um, first call was to Lou Lamarillo this morning when I, when I got the job. And I look back on Greece, and it sort of, for me, gave me a new life, new basketball life. So when I, when I went to Iona, I said that Iona was going to be my last job. And the reason I said that is, who's going to hire a 70-year-old? No matter how much I think I'm Peter Pan, who's going to hire a 70-year-old? It took Father Shanley to do it. If I wasn't a Providence friar, he would have never even considered it. So I'm excited about it. What a guy. What a guy. What did we have with Rick? We had the had the cheating on his wife with a staffer, right? Paid for an abortion. We had the the prostitution ring. Right with Louisville basketball. Yes, that was a that was a wild scene. Yeah, you know why you didn't. That'll get you to school, right, Rick? You know, holy cow, Rick! You know why you weren't hit with huge punishment because you blamed it on your director, player personnel, (laughs) and all the secondary team. And then that FBI thing. You claimed you had nothing to do with this, and he didn't get the show cause. How about that? He did not. Did not get the five year show cause. As he said there, went off the grease, then came back to Iona. Did the uh, clean up the the, uh, personality and the, the public image process and now he's back in big time basketball big east basketball man and he's with st john's you talk about one of these old time programs that used to mean something big you know chris mullen lou carnesecca like these big time college basketball names and mike anderson did a good job to kind of get them to another place and now rick patino seems to come in here and be the cleanup guy right Yes, Take he it is. to the next level. But if, I, if memory serves me correct, I don't even think Mike Anderson made the tournament at St. John's. No, but he got them winning you, some. Well, that's what I mean. That, that Did they win 20 how, games this year? I don't think they got that high. At least, but nine, eight, at least 18, 19 they, then. They might have been high teens, but that just shows you how bad they were under Mullen and beforehand. That The fact that he improved them and they still couldn't get back tells you where things were, but... Yeah, I think he can win there. There's there's definitely talent in the area that he can recruit and play at a, at a big level in the Big East. And that's really what a, one of the big talking points with the Big East is kind of this, the different tiers or different levels of talent and what talent teams can bring in and compete in that league because the guys that UConn can recruit aren't the same guys that schools like DePaul or Butler or even St. John's at a time could really match up with. So I'm interested to see what type of talent he can bring in there because if he can do it I, I Iona, he can do it there. And Mike Anderson was 68 and 56 in four years. Above 500 every year and kind of in the middle, had a top five finish in the Big East. So he did some things, but it wasn't everything that they wanted. All these other coaching moves, what pops off the page for you? You know what? I'm, I feel for Providence fans. I feel for, for Providence fans and what Ed Cooley did. And I honestly thought he was going to be a lifer there. The jobs that he turned down previously, he didn't take an offer or a chance he might have interviewed for Michigan, but he really didn't take it too seriously because I think he wanted to stay at Providence. But to not only just leave, leave in conference with a team that you're going to compete against or compete against your Providence team twice a year, I, I just didn't really love the move because, quite honestly, I I know historically Georgetown's a better program, but I don't know with the way it's currently set up, he's going to do a whole lot better there if they unless they change some things like their NIL situation. Well, we're kind of coming to an end on the season that we love the most, college basketball season in March Madness, but we got some time left. We got Elite Eight. We got the Final Four next week in a national championship game. We do, by the way, here on Saturday, have the Buckeye women's basketball team in the Sweet 16. So that is going to be fun as well. Speaking of UConn.
UConn. They are playing UConn. That coverage will get going on the fan at 345 and a lot of other good stuff. we got Common Man and T-Bone Weekend coming up. Some fan sports Saturday. Jackets later tonight. Then we get you to some NCAA tournament basketball. Colin, good stuff, my man. Can't wait, Sam. It's going to be a great weekend. Oh, yeah. Bodie, thank you so much for running it, man. Thank you guys so much for listening to Mad About Hoops.